Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We were diving and seeing who could stay under longest. We managed to remain down by holding on to the hoop-poles. Dutchy made such a poor success of it that he was hailed with laughter and derision every time his head appeared above water. At last he seemed hurt with the taunts, and begged us to stand still on the bank and be fair with him and give him an honest count. Be friendly and kind just this once, and not miscount for the sake of having the fun of laughing at him. Treacherous winks were exchanged, and all said, "'All right, Dutchy, go ahead, we'll play fair.' Dutchy plunged in, but the boys, instead of beginning to count, followed the lead of one of their number, and scampered to a range of blackberry bushes close by, and hid behind it. They imagined Dutchy's humiliation when he should rise after a superhuman effort, and find the place silent and vacant, nobody there to applaud. They were so full of laugh, with the idea, that they were continually exploding into muffled cackles. Time swept on, and presently one who was peeping through the briars said with surprise, "'Why, he hasn't come up yet!' The laughing stopped. "'Boys, it's a splendid dive,' said one. "'Never mind that,' said another. "'The joke on him is all the better for it.' There was a remark or two more, and then a pause. Talking ceased, and all began to peer through the vines. Before long the boys' faces began to look uneasy, then anxious, then terrified. Still there was no movement of the placid water. Hearts began to beat fast, and faces to turn pale. We all glided out silently and stood on the bank, our horrified eyes wandering back and forth from each other's countenances to the water. Somebody must go down and see. Yes, that was plain, but nobody wanted that grisly task draw straws. So we did, with hands which shook so that we hardly knew what we were about. The lot fell to me, and I went down. The water was so muddy I could not see anything, but I felt around among the hoop-poles, and presently I grasped a limp wrist, which gave me no response. And if it had, I should not have known it. I let it go with such a frightened suddenness. The boy had been caught among the hoop-poles, and entangled there, helplessly. I fled to the surface and told the awful news. Some of us knew that if the boy were dragged out at once he might possibly be resuscitated, but we never thought of that. We did not think of anything. We did not know what to do, so we did nothing, except that the smaller lads cried piteously, and we all struggled frantically into our clothes, putting on anybody's that came handy, and getting them wrong side out and upside down, as a rule. Then we scurried away and gave the alarm but none of us went back to see the end of the tragedy. We had a more important thing to attend to. We all flew home, 
and lost not a moment in getting ready to lead a better life. The night presently closed down, then came on that tremendous and utterly unaccountable storm. I was perfectly dazed. I could not understand it. It seemed to me that there must be some mistake. The elements were turned loose, and they rattled and banged and blazed away in the most blind and frantic manner. All heart and hope went out of me, and the dismal thought kept floating through my brain. If a boy who knows three thousand verses by heart is not satisfactory, what chance is there for anybody else? Of course I never questioned for a moment that the storm was on Dutchy's account, or that he or any other inconsequential animal was worthy of such a majestic demonstration from on high. The lesson of it was the only thing that troubled me, for it convinced me that if Dutchy, with all his perfections, was not a delight, it would be vain for me to turn over a new leaf, for I must infallibly fall hopelessly short of that boy, no matter how hard I might try. Nevertheless, I did turn it over. A highly educated fear compelled me to do that. But succeeding days of cheerfulness and sunshine came bothering around, and within a month I had so drifted backward that again I was as lost and comfortable as ever. Breakfast-time approached while I mused these musings and called these ancient happenings back to mind, so I got me back into the present and went down the hill. On my way through town to the hotel I saw the house which was my home when I was a boy. At present rates the people who now occupy it are of no more value than I am, but in my time they would have been worth not less than five hundred dollars apiece. They are colored folk. After breakfast I went out alone again, intending to hunt up some of the Sunday schools and see how this generation of pupils might compare with their progenitors, who had sat with me in those places, and had probably taken me as a model, though I do not remember as to that now. By the public square there had been in my day a shabby little brick church called the Old Ship of Zion, which I had attended as a Sunday-school scholar. And I found the locality easily enough, but not the old church. It was gone and a trig and rather hilarious new edifice was in its place. The pupils were better dressed and better looking than were those of my time. Consequently, they did not resemble their ancestors, and consequently there was nothing familiar to me in their faces. Still I contemplated them with a deep interest and a yearning wistfulness, and if I had been a girl I would have cried for they were the offspring, and represented, and occupied the places of boys and girls, some of whom I had loved to love, and some of whom I had loved to hate, but all of whom were dear to me, for the one reason or the other, so many years gone by, and, Lord, where be they now? I was mightily stirred, and would have been grateful to be allowed to remain unmolested and look my fill but a ball-summited superintendent, who had been a tow-headed Sunday-school mate of mine on that spot in the early ages, recognized me, and I talked a flutter of wild nonsense to those children to hide the thoughts which were in me, and which could not have been spoken without a betrayal of feeling that would have been recognized as out of character with me. Making speeches without preparation is no gift of mine, and I was resolved to shirk any new opportunity but in the next and larger Sunday-school I found myself in the rear of the assemblage. So I was very willing to go on the platform a moment for the sake of getting a good look at the scholars. 
On the spur of the moment I could not recall any of the old idiotic talks which visitors used to insult me with when I was a pupil there, and I was sorry for this, since it would have given me time and excuse to dawdle there and take a long and satisfying look at what I feel at liberty to say was an array of fresh young comeliness not matchable in another Sunday school of the same size. As I talked merely to get a chance to inspect, and as I strung out the random rubbish solely to prolong the inspection, I judged it but decent to confess these low motives, and I did so. If the model boy was in either of these Sunday schools, I did not see him. The model boy of my time—we never had but the one—was perfect. Perfect in manners, perfect in dress, perfect in conduct, perfect in filial piety, perfect in exterior godliness. But at bottom he was a prig. And as for the contents of his skull, they could have changed place with the contents of a pie, and nobody would have been the worse off for it but the pie. This fellow's reproachlessness was a standing reproach to every lad in the village. He was the admiration of all the mothers, and the detestation of all their sons. I was told what became of him, but, as it was a disappointment to me, I will not enter into details. He succeeded in life. End of chapter 54